Church, I want you to think about what we're singing in this song. Because we're not just um, entertaining ourselves or filling time to make a, a good service. We're singing gospel truths. The second verse of what we just sang in the song, In Christ Alone. Listen to these words. In Christ alone, who took on flesh the fullness of God in a helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save. Listen to this. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. What a powerful song. Because that's the Gospel, right? Christ died for us that we might live in Him. Every sin of ours laid on Him. And the wrath of God directed towards our sin is satisfied in Him. We are alive because Christ died. These are gospel truths we're singing. It's important that we recognize that. Would you join me in praying? And I'm going to ask you to thank God uh, for sending His Son to die in your stead. But then also pray and ask that in these next few moments, He would speak to you through His Word with His Spirit, uh, that He would guard your heart and mind to understand what the passage is saying. So would you pray with me? In a, a few minutes, I'll, I'll pray and we'll open Scripture. Our great God in heaven, we come to you again. You who are the Lord of heaven and earth. We confess that what we've sung this morning is true. We deserved your wrath and yet you took every sin of ours. So many sin, sins and, and such wickedness and unrighteousness you took. And died bearing the wrath that our sin rightfully deserved. You died so that we would live. You resurrected, giving us life and victory in you. Giving us your righteousness. We thank you. Let such songs and such words and such truths not be lost on our souls this morning. As we come to the time of your scriptures being opened, may they come alive to us. Would you make them compelling? Would you grip our very souls by your words with your spirit? Transcend human discourse this morning. Transcend the, the words of a finite preacher. And in divine supernatural power, let your word burst forth. Shining light in the dark places of our hearts and our minds. Exposing sin and correcting it and healing where we are broken. And calling us to trust in you and submit to you. Would you do these things? 
so that first and foremost you would be glorified, but also that we might be saved and sanctified. We are your flock. You are our shepherd. Lead us to green pastures. Lead us to living water. Feed us. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Would you please take your Bibles and open them with me to Colossians chapter 1 again this morning. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. Actually, let's back up and let's read first thing this morning, starting with verse 15. We'll read through verse 20 and focus on part of verse 18. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul today, as we come to verse 18, he slightly changes directions, though he doesn't change purposes. Uh, We find this transition word in verse 18 and uh, he's changing the the uh, focus a little bit but and the content a little bit but not necessarily the point of the passage we're moving away from Jesus uh, relating to creation in verses 15 16 and 17 and we're entering into new areas but the point is still the same in verse 18 that he might be preeminent in everything, that he might be supreme over everything. That's Paul's whole point in verses 15 through 20. I want you to see the glory, the supremacy, the wonder, the awe of Jesus, that he alone is sufficient. He alone is worthy. You don't need anything else. Turn to Christ. Trust in Christ. He alone is sufficient, supreme. Well, as I said, verses 15, 16, and 17 dealt with that in regards of creation. He's over all of the created order, all created things. Remember verse 16, they are uh, existing by Him. They are existing through Him and they are existing for Him. Verse 17, He's the sustainer of all things, holding all things together. He's Lord of creation. Well, now as we come into verse 18, we find he's Lord of the church. Lord over the church. The people of God. Now for the Colossian Christians, this is particularly, specifically, very important. Remember, they're under the threat of false teaching. They're under the threat of turning to something else or adding to the work of Christ. 
Perhaps Jesus' work on the cross isn't sufficient, or perhaps his, his governing of the church isn't quite sufficient. You need to add this, or do this, or, or enhance that. And Paul is coming to verse 18 saying, No, Christ is Lord of the church. Everything that the church needs originates in Christ and can be found in Christ and met in Christ. And everything that that church has comes from Christ. So these Colossian Christians, they need to understand, as do we in our day and age, that Christ is all that the church should ever, ever chase after. Christ is all that the church should ever, will ever need. He's sufficient for every area, issue, conflict, blessing that our church will ever have or face. We need not venture away. We need not go after the things of the world. We need not chase relevance. We need not fall into the shifting sands of so much of the church climate and culture today. If you don't get anything else, get this first thing. We must be a people who keep our eyes on our Savior. That is our great calling. That's our great task. And that is our great challenge. We must keep our eyes fixed solely on our Savior. Before we consider what it means that Christ is the head of the church, let's ask the question, what exactly is the church? You know as well as I do that if we were to survey just any amount of people, we would have a wide variety of answers thrown our way to define what the church of God actually is. Some would say it's nothing more than a social gathering or a charitable organization. Others would say the church is the building or a piece of property. Still some, and I know people like this, you know people like this, they think the church is the means of their salvation. Or the church is what informs their morals. It's a moral agent in society. The misconceptions that surround the church of God are constant and as various as we might would imagine. Even among the people of God, the people of God have a difficult time even defining what they belong to. What is this that we call church? Well, thankfully, God in His grace has given us the New Testament, which so clearly defines in a, an ample amount of places what the church of God actually is. And it makes it clear that it isn't the means of your salvation. It makes it clear that it's not simply a social, benevolent, charitable organization. It also makes it clear that it's certainly not a property or a building. It's exactly what Paul calls it in verse 18, a body. That's one of Paul's most favorite illustrations or analogies to refer to the church. He calls it the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's probably his most lengthy discourse on the body. Describing that we're all many members and yet we comprise one body together. In the midst of our diversity and God's divine economy and plan, we exist as one unified organism. 
all of our differences and all of our different spiritual gifts and all of our different uh, outlooks and perspectives and backgrounds contribute to one body of Christ, the church. We find him use this analogy in other places as well. Particularly, he uses it in Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 23. Chapter 4, verse 4, 12, and 16. He uses it again in chapter 5. Just about every chapter of the book of Ephesians, Paul references the church being this body. What does he mean by that? He means, number one, that we're unified. We cannot separate ourselves. If you're born again into the family of God, you're in the body of God. You don't get to choose who else belongs to that body. We're under one Lord. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body that we belong to. I would take it even further than that. I think the analogy of the body also means we're interdependent upon one another. We're interlocked together. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's whole argument there is we cannot carry on the mission and purpose of the body of God if we're not all working together to that same goal to achieve it. We cannot deny one part of our body. We cannot look to the feet and say, I have no need of you, or the hands and say, I have no need of you. He goes on to say, we cannot say that we're better than one another, that the hands are more important or the eyes are more important. He essentially says we're only as healthy as our weakest member. The body will only thrive if we are unified and interdependent together. Dependent on one another. Locked together. Other places of the Bible, the, uh, the church described as a body is described as a living structure. A living organism of God's people. It, bre- it breathes, it moves, it acts. The New Testament is also quite clear. It's an exclusive group of people. Only born again Christians belong to the body of God. Paul's being very specific then when he comes to verse 18, when he's talking about this church, this body. You are a dependent, interlocked, unified, living, exclusive group of people. You're the people of God. What a title and what an, what an honor for a corporate family to possess. To be able to stand together as born again children of God and say, we are, by God's grace, the people of God. It is an honor to say we are the body of Christ. It is, church, an honor. There are even still further implications of this term body that Paul uses for the church. We should also consider the body is both visible and invisible, or universal and local. The body, since it's an exclusive group of Christians, is made up of all Christians. It's universal, past, present, and future. All believers belong to the body of Christ. We have brothers and sisters around the world whom we have never met, likely will never meet on this side of heaven, who belong 
to the body of Christ. They are as much a member as any one of us. But this body that's universal is also expressed locally. It's made visible every time Christians gather together to worship, proclaim the gospel, conduct the ordinances. Anytime we do all of that in the name of Christ, we are making the universal body visible as local bodies. One scholar said, the local body is the embassy of God's kingdom made known and seen. We are the embassy of God's kingdom made known and seen. I want us to stop and consider for just a moment again the tremendous honor that you and I possess to belong to the body of Christ as the people of God. Trinity Baptist Church is the embassy of God's kingdom in its own special, unique way made seen, made visible here in Weatherford. We do the bidding of Christ. We act in the name of Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. We share the message of Christ. We promote the agenda of Christ. We're doing the work and ministry of Christ. No other organization lays claim to such privileges. No other group of people has such honor given to them. Born again and saved to be in the family and people and body of God to do the work of God. When Paul writes verse 18 and he references the church, when he references the body, he's referencing what most of his writings address and are spent, uh, spent on. He's referencing a group of people that have the highest honor imaginable. He's referencing a group of people that have the greatest blessing humanity has ever known. He's referencing a group of people who have the greatest calling, who have the greatest ministries, the greatest tasks, the greatest affiliations. And then he writes and he says, you are that body, you are the church, and your Lord Jesus is the head. I want you to take note of the word is. He is the head. Because so much of this text and really so much of the scriptures are written from a historical perspective. They're written not only in history, but they're now writing about history. They've always been written about history. And sometimes we fall uh, prey to thinking of Christ only in those terms. We think Christ lived. Christ uh, was born. He went to the cross. He died. He, he was resurrected. All past tense language. That's sometimes what we get caught up in. And in fact, that's what a lot of this text is even dealt with. But here, he comes back to present tense language. And it would do us well to consider this in present tense language. Christ is presently, right now, Lord over His body. It's not that He once was ruling over the church. He is presently ruling over the church. We maintain that Christ is alive, is He not? And that Christ is on His throne. And that on His throne, He's actively orchestrating and actively directing and actively involved in the life of His people. 
that certainly includes his body. Oh, you and I have a great privilege and a great calling to be a part of the body of Christ. And then we consider that our Lord is alive and actively working in his body. We should be filled with gratitude and humility over such truths. This is who we are now. This is where we belong now. And our Lord is presently, right now, exercising His will, leading His people, issuing directives, presently ruling over you and I in a corporate body. Well, the main thrust of the verse is that Christ is not just presently doing these things, but that He is, in fact, the very head of the body, the very head of the church. Paul uses this analogy as a head almost as often as he uses the analogy of body to refer to the church. He's going to use it several other times in this very letter, Colossians. He uses it again in Ephesians chapter 5 and a few other places that he writes. And the analogy is meant to be as graphic and comprehensive as it sounds. As our human bodies cannot exist or live or function without our heads, neither can the church of Christ exist or function or live without her head. God has called us to be a part of His body and He's given us a great privilege, a great task to be the embassy of His kingdom, to represent His name to declare His glorious message of salvation, to stand in the gap and to be a physical representation of the Lord Himself here on earth. And we will always fail if we do not submit to our head. We're the most blessed people with great gifts, great callings, But if we take our eyes off of our head, we will fail. This creator, this resurrected individual, this divine savior that we encounter in verses 15 through 20 has the right to be our head in two primary ways. First, when Paul calls him our head, he calls him Essentially, our governor, our Lord, our ruler, our authority. That means Christ has divine, sovereign right to do as He pleases with His body. Our church, any church, is never to be based on our preferences or our traditions. I think we can often be guilty of approaching different things in the life of the church according to how we think or how we want things to be done. But the truth of Scripture is that not a single one of us has governing power over the church. We are defined as stewards. We are defined as Servants, we are never defined as masters or lords over the church of God. 
and to try to usurp the Lord's headship over His church is nothing short of sinful. In fact, to make the church in our own image is nothing shy of pure wickedness. What a horrific thought to think that we might try to usurp our, our head, our Savior. That we might get carried away with our own preferences. Our own traditions. I firmly believe each church needs to seriously, thoroughly, and regularly consider such truths as this. That if we attempt to usurp our Lord in any form or fashion, build things out of our preference and our tradition, we are committing a grave sin together. Christ alone is our head, church. Jesus alone is our Lord. We worship Him. We sing to Him. We gather together to exalt Him. We do ministries as He leads. We serve in His name. And any time it becomes about us instead of about Christ, we are in grave error. That means none of us get to determine how we worship. The Word of God does that. We don't determine how we spend our money. The Word of God does that. We submit ourselves to its principles. We submit ourselves to its wisdom. We submit ourselves to the Scriptures of our Lord that in, in terms of what we should prioritize and what we should disregard and, and how we should conduct ourselves. Because He, after all, is our only head. So we don't dictate how our church operates. Culture doesn't dictate how our church operates. Society doesn't dictate how our church operates. Government will not dictate how our church operates. Only Christ has the authority and divine right to dictate how we function and exist. He is our Lord our governor. He alone has that authority. He alone possesses that sort of a rule. Doug said it the other day, and I actually had read it in a book that very same week. We have an audience of one. And as hard and heavy as it may be sometimes, we need to regularly remember that we don't exist as a church for ourselves. We exist for Christ alone. We exist for the glory of God alone. We exist for the service of Jesus alone. We exist because our head wills that we exist and our head desires us to exist for Him. The church is not something we can mold into our own Ideas. The church is not something we can make and, and form into what we think would be best. The church is not subject to the changing times 
of culture and relevance. That means we don't build our services to entertain ourselves. We don't even design our services primarily to reach lost people. It means we have no right to demand our favorite songs when we sing. No right to complain about the Word of God being used too much or talked about too much. No right to demand more attention. No right to demand that our opinions be heard. We are servants of our head. And corporately, togetherly, together we, we seek what's the best thing for our head. How do we most glorify our Lord? How do we most serve Him? How do we most further His agenda? We grow up in a, or are growing up, or are living in a, a consumer-oriented church culture where everything is about us. What did I get out of the service today? What did I get out of the ministry? I don't involve myself there and I don't serve there because it's not something I like doing. And on and on and on and on and on. The list just keeps going and building and building. And churches, us, myself included, Christians, need to have a real stern and serious reality check that not an ounce of this is about you or me. We don't structure the service to make you feel good. We don't pick what letter to preach through to make you stay around. Everything we do here is about Jesus. And every time we gather, it should be about Jesus. He alone informs our practices, our doctrine, our conduct. He gives us the wisdom he gives us explicit direction. I am convinced, wholeheartedly convinced, that the number one reason that churches die or fall into grave doctrinal error is not because they failed to be relevant or reach young people or this or that. It's because they've taken their eyes off of Christ. It's because they have, for all intents and purposes, cut their head off. Severed ties from their Lord. And when we do that, when a church does that, the only option then is to die. Well, Christ is not only our governor or our Lord as head. He is that, and we would do very well to stress that often. He reigns and rules over us, and we are here existing as His servants, His body. But also the fact that He's our head means He's our nourisher. He's our sustainer. He's where we get life. We are joined Together and we hold together because of Him. Just as in verse 17, as He is the sustainer of all things in creation, 
so too He is the sustainer of any church. If any church lasts for any amount of time, it's because the head has graciously willed it to be so. So the answer to any particular church's woes or problems or difficulties is not inventing some new scheme or program or ministry. It's refixing our eyes on Christ. The key to being refreshed. The key to to passionate worship. The key to serving in the name of, of God. The key to glorifying God in this world is focusing on Christ alone. He is that very fountain from which we gain all of our nourishment. Is your soul spiritually dry? Is our church spiritually dry? The answer isn't change everything up. The answer is look to Jesus. Hold fast to the head from which life comes. The giver of all things who breathes nourishment and nutrition into our weak frame. Hold on to that wellspring. Keep Christ as the center. Set your attentions on Jesus. Fight diligently against distractions that creep into your heart and your mind every Sunday morning. War against such things so that Christ would reign supreme in your attention. So that He would reign supreme in your affections. That your heart would be thrilled at the name of Jesus. That your soul would be stirred up at the Scriptures being sung and prayed and read. Our head not only rules and governs us, but He is the one who takes care of us. He is the shepherd that leads us. He is the one who feeds us. He is the one who molds us and helps us and corrects us and guides us and points us in the right direction. I read to you a few weeks ago a a quote from a a reformer named Casper. I want to read to you another one of his. He says, This is the reason why it is the Son rather than the Father who is assigned to be the head of the church. Because whatever the Father bestows, which is of any good for the church, He bestows it through and on account of His Son. So that its members might enjoy the benefits of God the Father through and on account of the head to which they are joined. If we are to expect any blessing or any good coming from our Heavenly Father, we must be attached to the head and clinging as tightly as we can. For only through the head will we find sustenance and life. But it's even more than that. Douglas Moo in his commentary on this text goes on to expound a little bit more. He says, against people who were arguing that the ultimate spiritual experience had to be found in places other than Christ, Paul holds up Christ as the one who is the true and only source of life for the body. Just as Christ is preeminent in the universe, 
so He is preeminent within the new creation, the assembly of the new covenant of believers. We need not turn to dry cisterns, church. We need not look to pick berries among the figs to try to survive. We do not need to dig around in the garbage for sustenance. We have an endless spring that bubbles up to be our only source of life. And that spring is Christ who never runs dry, who never goes empty, who never tires, who never sleeps. We don't have to scrounge around. Mr. Moo goes on to say, but there is this difference as the metaphor of the body and the head implies. The difference between Christ being supreme in the universe and supreme over the church. This difference is that Christ is in relationship to His people in a way that is not true of the creation in general. Christ is our governing head. He's the one who dictates us. We have the responsibility of submitting to Him. Church is not about us. It's about Him. It's about glorifying Him, exalting Him, doing that in the lives and hearts of every one of us. But Christ is also our nourisher. He breathes life into us. He sustains us. He's the very source of all good things that are bestowed from the Father upon the people of God. And being our nourisher as our head, He exists in a unique and special relationship with us. Christ graciously has a personal relationship with individual believers. The Bible teaches that. We know that very well from experience. But one thing we often neglect is the unique way that Christ is present when His people gather together to worship Him. And if that be true, that our head is uniquely present when we come together as His body, that means there is no ordinary Lord's Day. That there is no casual worship service. That in some divine, supernatural, unique, and special way, we are meeting here today with our Savior. We are meeting here today together with Christ. We're coming together not just to sing songs and pray a few prayers and hear some guy talk a lot. We meet here to form the body and meet with the head. Sundays are the most important days of the week. And worship is the most important time of the week. And in a very unique, miraculous, gracious way, our Lord meets with us together. We do not have the right to be indifferent about the Lord's Day, do we? We cannot treat our coming together as the church casually without gratitude or without joy or without humility, we come together and meet with our head. In the most simplest way I can say it, I'll say it like this. Christ is with us. And that should drastically change the way we come together as His church. You and I have the great privilege of belonging to the body of Christ. If we're born again, if we've placed our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and our eternal salvation, we are adopted immediately into the body of Christ. 
And as that body, we represent our Lord who is presently reigning over us as a ruler and as a life giver. Church, let us submit to our head. Let us lay every aspect of our lives down before Him and say, have your way with us. You are the head. We are the body. You are the master. We are the servants. As you wish, let it be done. But also let us look to Christ alone for our life, for our sustenance. We don't have to turn to anything else that this world might vainly promise. Let us cling to Christ alone and be satisfied in the relationship that He provides with us, that He has with us, both individually and as a church. This local body of believers has a unique relationship with our head. Let us treasure it. Let us fight for it. Let us enjoy it. The truth is, you cannot know these things unless you are first born again. But if you're born again, you can be sanctified by God's Word to really consider what it means to be a part of the church, the body of Christ, what it really means to submit to the head together and find our only nourishment from Him. You can taste the joy of being led by Christ personally. We can experience the thrill of having the blessing of the Father on account of the Son. Our task is imperative. We must cling to the head. Christ, Your Word so clearly lays out such a foundational and important truth that not only informs our minds in theology or understanding, but it informs our very practices. The implications, the applications of verse 18 are enormous. And they force us to pause and reflect. They force us to confess. They force us to corporately ask for forgiveness. Forgive us, O God, please. For where we have made your body about ourselves. Forgive us for not submitting to you as our head. Forgive us for being a preference driven church. Trying to make things how we think they should be done. Forgive us for letting the world dictate our practices. Forgive us for letting the world interpret your scriptures in our lives. Forgive us for taking our eyes off of you. And this morning, with your Spirit's help, would you correct us? Reestablish us? Help us to submit to you as our Lord? We thank You also for being the life giver to us. Help us to remember it's not about being new and innovative or relevant. It's not even about being welcoming. 
It's about having our eyes and our hearts fixed on you and being molded and shaped by that relationship. We will only resemble you to this world as we keep our hearts and our eyes upon you. Would you forgive us for looking to other things for sustenance? Would you forgive us for thinking that we might find life elsewhere? Help us look to you and you alone as the very nourishment of this body. And we thank you for uniquely, graciously, and kindly being present with us. Help us not to take that for advantage or for granted or forget that you meet with your people who come together each week to worship you. Such truths could be expounded on and and taught on for much longer. I just pray that these brief highlights this morning, God, would remind us of how significant it is that you are the head of your body.